joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. I am Rochelle Marie Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, your host for today's show. And today we're going to hear from an expert by the name of Russell Foster, um, who is a master life coach and business mentor. He's also a clinical hypnotherapist as well as a master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming. That's a tongue twister for me. And he's going to share his wisdom with all of us about how we can use some of the things that he does on a daily basis with people he works with to help us reduce our stress, possibly eliminate it from our life, so that we can have optimal health and wellness as we travel down our path to bliss. And so at this time, I would like to welcome Russell Foster to the show. Welcome to the show, Russell. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to a great conversation. Good. I am, too, and I'm sure the listeners out there are as well. And if you guys are out there listening, you might want to sit down and take a piece of paper out and a pen pencil, something to write with, and probably it could be going to be a great show to take notes um, because I'm sure Russell's going to give us lots of information that will help us um, in our daily lives to just, you know, create that balance and wellness that we all seek and desire, as well as help us to reduce or eliminate as much stress for these all aspects of our life, um, again, that's going to help us with creating wellness and balance within us. And so I just want to get started. The first question I want to ask you is, can you explain, um, first of all, let's talk about happiness. And I want you to explain to the listeners um, how experiencing true happiness, health and wellness, is far more than just, you know, doing the stuff that we hear about on TV and in the uh, medical journals and magazines and things of that nature that deal with, you know, eating and exercising and positive thinking. Can you just explain to us why true happiness really evolves and is more than that? Sure. I think one of the big misconceptions, you know, or or just kind of the way we tend to look at things is we tend to kind of pick one aspect and say, well, if I do this, this is going to make me happy or, you know, this is what I need to do, you know, to be more physically fit or, you know, if I, if, if I go on this diet program for a period of time, um, you know, then I'm going to be more, you know, more, I'm going to be happier, I'm going to be, be, be healthier. And all these things are actually true within a certain frame of reference, but uh, the totality of truth, you know, regarding, you know, what, what we call health and wellness and, and, and well-being really is a, you know, what I like to think of as a four-part, um, you know, like if you think of a, a pie graph, you know, you think about, you know, a pie graph with four different sections, and it's, it, it may it may not be exactly that each one is divided up into 25%, but, you know, the, the physical aspect of health um, is one of the components. And then we also have the, the mental aspect as well. And um, in addition to the emotional aspect of health, and then, of course, what I like to consider the spiritual aspect. 
and when I say physical, I mean, you know, this really does involve, you know, like what we eat, what we don't eat, because that's actually just as important, the things that we avoid eating, and then and then really how we exercise. But even exercise is uh, what we'll talk about later. I want to, you know, is, um, you know, even exercise, there's a lot of different components to that. You know, when we think about mental health, this really has to do with, um, and I'm just going to give you a brief overview. We can go into many more details later on. But when we think about mental health, it really has to do with, like, what's the majority of people's thought processes? What's going on? And I'm not necessarily even talking about the things that people are consciously aware that they're thinking, but what really is going on behind the scenes. And what what research has shown us is that about 75 to 80% of our thoughts are, number one, repetitive, and, and many of the repetitive thoughts are also negative, either about ourselves or about the world or about whatever. And that, that can create a tremendous amount of stress. The, uh, the third component, I would say, is what we, what we consider the emotional. Now, you have to realize that the emotional and the mental are linked. You know, our thoughts do lead to, you know, the emotions we feel. But not everybody's mm-hmm. really paying attention to the, like, the emotions that they experience the most is that, you know, some people get frustrated, they get angry, uh, they get stressed out for whatever reason, and then they stay in that mode of being stressed out and they don't realize why they're there. And so that becomes, it's almost like a habitual pattern. And like anything else, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but the more you do something, the more comfortable it starts to feel, even if it's being stressed out or being angry or being mad or whatnot. And then, of course, uh, you know, what I think is the last component, which to me actually is almost an all-encompassing, um, you know, in this particular case, we'll call that the spiritual, you know, and that's that's really has to do more with beliefs, you know, beliefs about who we are as an individual, uh, our beliefs about how the world operates, you know, if, if, if people, you know, this also includes some sort of, um, you know, religious or spiritual beliefs about God or about the divine or the spirit or, or how that, that plays in there. So that's that's why I like to call it because I think we tend to we tend to get focused on one area and we kind of lose sight about it. It's it really is the it's the integration and the synergy between all these different parts. Yeah, I see. You know, there. Uh, you know, the, with the within the four aspects that you discussed or you you know explained to everyone, I see that you know um, a lot of um, true happiness can be so somewhat evaded from people if they focus on like the one aspect of exercise or eating and they actually fail at whatever they're trying to accomplish whether it's the newest fad diet or you know losing 2015 whatever pounds or sticking to an exercise regimen and then or or saying they were going to commit to an exercise regimen and not sticking with that and and somehow that they internalize that and believe that because they were a failure at the diet or they, you know, didn't stick to the exercise regimen, it really creates an abundance of more stress than actually uh, the aspect of happiness, which is what, you know, they're truly trying to seek, you know. So I can see how those four parts play very integrally into um, how people can experience true true happiness and, um, and why it's not why one should not get wrapped up in either one of those parts, but collectively treat it like the whole pie, so to speak. You know, it's always nice to have a slice of apple pie or pecan pie or your favorite pie, um, and you get really, you know, yummy results, and, and you feel real happy about that. But, you know, if you could have the whole pie, how much more happier would you be? You know, and, and, and that's just a metaphor, but, you know, it's like I had a little tiny slice but, you know, I can have the whole pie, and the whole pie is going to make me happy and create this true happiness that I so seek and desire that I, you know, keep trying just to take segments of the pie to fulfill. So I see that can be um, very beneficial to someone out there listening that 
you know, has not put it all together, and now we're going to give them the information to allow them to take pieces of it all and put it together to see how it fits in their life. Can you discuss some of the misconceptions? You know, I, I... I like this next question that I have here about misconceptions between health and fitness, but I want to take it into a little bit more deeper and break it in down to the four pieces. And so I want to ask you, can you discuss some of the misconceptions about, you know, physical health, so to speak? What are the misconceptions out there that I know that are out there that they are in the magazines and they're, you know, on some of these health progr- health um, channels and things of that nature but definitely they are misconceptions because they're just telling people a little bit about what's going on and not truly the whole enchilada, so to speak. So can you discuss um, that? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things that, you know, going into the, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspect is that, you know, when you get into the physical health, you know, everybody thinks that if you work out hard, if, you're, if you exercise and you're doing all these things, that it, it really does lead to health. But, but just like you brought up is that that can actually become a source of stress as well because, first of all, if you're exercising correctly, it should be putting stress on your body. And, uh, and, and there are such things as good stress, so we can, we can get into that. But there's another aspect to where when, when we work out very diligently, you know, it, it does create toxins in our body. I mean, there's, there's lactic acid physically of working out, and there needs to be a way to remove some of that from the body as well. And so there's a lot of people that are kind of stuck on the the physical health and and what I would actually call aspects of fitness, which is, you know, how much weight can you lift, how far can you ride your bike, how many hours can you work out, or how many yoga classes you can do. And certainly those are a measure of, of fitness. But when we get to health, it really has to do with how your body actually processes things like stress. To me, that's a lot more a better way to measure what physical health is all about is like, well, how are your kidneys working? How's your digestive system working? How, you know, how's your blood flow working? How's all the other things going? And that's what I'm getting at is I think one of the biggest misconceptions, too, is if you're thin or fairly thin or you're strong and you work out that you're healthy. And certainly those go hand in hand on a certain level, but just because we are thin or just because we're working out very diligently, there's a lot of people out there that are doing a tremendous amount of work very very uh, aggressive, working out very hard, but their bodies are, are extremely toxic inside, either because they're eating, um, you know, foods that have a lot of um, toxicity in them, and so their bodies are, are having to process all that, um, or they're, uh, for example, they're creating unrealistic expectations about their workout regime, and so it's like, okay, I'm going to work out four days this week, and that's my plan, or four days a week for the entire month, and they miss one, and instead of focusing on how good they actually are at achieving a certain goal, they focus on the one workout that they missed or the one workout that they went to and they weren't, um, you know, they just weren't optimal that day. They didn't, they didn't feel tired. Or somebody that's on a diet is another example, and they lose three or four pounds over the course of two weeks, let's say, and they're bummed out because they didn't lose six. I mean, they lost five, and they're celeb- instead of celebrating losing the five pounds, which is really, really important, and it sends a signal to the body that's doing the right thing, many people will get upset about not losing that that one extra pound. And so, you know, there's a lot of things in, in here that, in, in, that are misconceptions, and, and people tend to focus on a lot of times, we as a species tend to focus on what we see as missing, unfortunately. And so a lot yeah, of things... Yeah, you know, it, it is, that, is, that is true, you know, and I, I, I see it all the time. I mean, um, for instance, you mentioned something about um, someone being, you know, naturally thin or... I'm I'm just going to use myself as an example. When I was younger, I was, 
naturally thin. I could eat whatever I want to as much as I wanted to, and I didn't work out. I mean, I had some other issues with my health going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people would see me and automatically assume that I was super healthy because I was thin. And right. I, I, I I knew, you know, I knew, I, you know, I wasn't feeling good. But, of course, you know, to to society, a lot of times, is, you know, the classic stereotype is somebody that's thin is healthy, they work out and they're, they're fit and all that. And that's not necessarily true. And then the other aspect is, you know, the people that focus on, like you said, they, they want to lose a couple pounds. Say they want to lose 25 pounds, and the first week they may lose five, and then the next week they may lose two, may lose two and they start getting down on themselves about, you know, yeah. I, well, I didn't, I didn't lose five this week. And, and what this all does, you guys out there listening, is it creates an internal stress within you that is not good. It's not good. A lot of times people will say things to a thin person that they think is complimentary um, for instance, I've heard people say, oh, you're so skinny or you're so this, you know, and they think that's complimentary. But to someone that actually is thin and wants to gain weight because they want to be healthy, they want to increase their muscle mass, that is actually an insult. That's like telling someone, oh, you're so fat, you know. you know. And so overall what this all does is create an internal stress. Another thing you mentioned that I would like for you to explain also is, you mentioned about the positive aspects of stressing the body, um, you know, when we're working out. And there is positive things. And I don't think people realize that when you're actually working out and you're doing an intense physical activity or, or exercise, you are stressing your body out. But it is a good stress. Can you explain um, to the listeners what you mean by that and, and exactly um, how they should be looking at that when they're working out and not taking it negatively? Yeah, well, I mean, basically, anybody that's done any kind of weightlifting or any kind of weight training at all should be familiar with the the concept of either failure or fatigue. And so, when you when you work a muscle to physical exhaustion, whether it's in, uh, you know, just doing a certain you know exercise where the muscle just can't do anymore, or throughout the entire workout, this is actually what builds muscle. For example, so if I was to go in and I want, um, you know, bigger chest muscles, I go in and I'm going to work on the bench and I'm going to work on things that, that work my chest and my arms in, in in conjunction. Well, the idea is to go in and lift so much weight that I actually can't lift more. That I hit a I hit a resistance point that they call fatigue or failure or or muscle exhaustion. These these are all three kind of the same thing. And then once you hit that place. Um, and your workout is over, then what you do is you actually let that, that muscle or that muscle group rest for a couple of days. So the idea is you want to stress that muscle and really intensely and then let it rest and rebuild for about, usually about two days, depending on the cycle that you're in and whatnot. Um, and what this does is it gives the body, and the, you know, a chance to, number one, get rid of all the toxins because when you do muscle fatigue, there's a tremendous amount of lactic acid buildup, so your body's got to eliminate that or at least eliminate it from the muscles. But then it allows it to get stronger. And, and this is what we do. And, and when anybody that's, you know, if you're doing endurance work and, and aerobics, if you're doing bike riding or you're doing weightlifting, the process basically works the same is that you, you get the muscles to a certain level of fatigue. And like I said, once you've done that, once you've stressed those muscles, again, the, 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 the optimum thing is that you've got them, to, you've got to give them, again, the proper time to rest and recuperate in between, which is usually a couple of days depending on the exercise. But that's where the, that's where the regrowth happens in that, in that space. And it happens faster when you're actually able to stress the muscle. And well, anybody so in actuality, it's a great thing to stress the muscle to fatigue versus, 
become not, right? You're going to see more results, better results. You're going to increase your metabolism, things of that nature when you do that, correct? Correct. And usually when you're doing that, there will be a little bit of pain. There will be some lactic acid left over. And this is, you got to be very careful not to push it too far. But, but the other thing is that it, it's a balance between the opposite side, which is hitting that failure or that fatigue point where the muscles are really just trashed, they're worn out, they're wiped out, they can't even move. But then you've got to give them the, the, the adequate amount of rest because this is where if you go into intensely and the muscles haven't recuperated yet and you go in and start working out again, you can actually uh, slow down the process or even do damage. So again, there's that there's that there's that fine line between pushing too hard and whatnot. That's where we go to like keeping everything in balance. Right. And actually, the same the same thing works in a lot of ways, like breathing and uh, 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 emotional exercise as well. We we can get into if you'd like to as well. Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that because I think um, sometimes there's a misconception, and you know, people hear the word stress and they automatically you know, think negative, and of great, you know, of course, a, a lot of it is, uh, right. but in actuality, when you're exercising, as, you know, you're sharing with us, when you stress the muscle or stress, you know, stress it to a fatigue point, that's actually beneficial for you, and it's going to help you to achieve whatever physical fitness goals you may have, or at least get you there a little quicker, or maybe, you know, inch by inch, but it's it's actually a positive thing, and, and in turn, I think when you do that, you probably uh, get a little emotional, mental release as well. So even though you might have stretched that, stressed that muscle, you're releasing the stress from the brain, and that's always a good thing, I think. Oh, that's, a, that's a really good point. I didn't I didn't get to that part yet, but actually that's another, <laughs> one, of, that's another one of the benefits of a really, really intense workout, whether it's in the gym or yoga or aerobics or bike riding, is that it does release a lot of the negative emotions that we, that we need to process too as well going through that exhaustion phase. So absolutely. You know, um, I want you to, I I know there's a lot of talk out there, and we hear it, it, it's, you know, I'm a healthcare professional, so I've heard this for, you know, since I've been a healthcare professional for 25 years, but um, there are a lot more people being cognizant about uh, adrenal fatigue or adrenal fatigue syndrome. Can you just share a little bit um, about adrenal fatigue and exactly what that is and how it can affect the body with regards to you know, us handling the stresses in our lives? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, adrenal fatigue syndrome, you know, or just adrenal fatigue, really really has to do with the fact that our society over the last maybe 100 or 200 years has changed immensely. You know, it used to be that our bodies handled a really large dose of stress, you know, for a very short period of time back in, you know, years, you know, years and years and years ago. You know, if we were the hunters and gatherers on the, you know, out searching for food or or whatnot, you know, our lives were very simple. And the stresses were bigger probably. They were more real stress, but they didn't happen really very often at all. Today what's going on is that we're constantly being bombarded with these micro stresses. And so what happens is the adrenal system that actually is what gives us the energy and the, the mental awareness to be able to handle some of these things you know, are running on overtime, you know, so you get up in the morning and you're running late and you have your cup of coffee and then you get into rush hour traffic to get to the work and then somebody cuts you off in traffic or, you're, you know, you're, you, you get pulled over because you're, you're speeding or whatnot. All these things, any one of themselves is not life-threatening and, and really shouldn't be causing us to get so emotional, but the, the, the constant bombardment of these things adds up over and over again. And so then what happens is you're tired throughout the day, you're drinking your coffee to keep to keep awake and keep mentally alert, and you're and then you're not getting a lot of sleep. Well, we can do this for a day or two. You know, we can probably even do it for a couple of weeks if we've got a really involved pro, you know project that we've got to get done. If we're cramming for finals or we've got a, a deadline on a, on, a, on a business deal or something like that, but then we've got to go back and give the adrenals a, a rest. And what happens is 
if we stress them a little bit, it's not a big issue. But if we keep overstressing them, overstressing them, overstressing them, well, it, it totally messes up our hormonal system. And then what happens is when they do crash, it's like, oh, my God, I can't do anything. You know, and you, and you just sit, and it's because what happens is, well, there's just nothing left. There's nothing left for them to give. And um, and that's one of the big things that are going on in society today is that people don't realize this, is they're, is they're mildly stressing their body over and over and over again for four, five, six, seven days, ten days, two weeks, a month at a time. And then what happens is you just get you just crash. You hit a, you hit a place where it's like, oh my god, I can't physically do anything anymore, or I'm just mentally just not there. And and it may mean that you take two or three days off where you just get physically sick. You know, you may not get a cold necessarily, but you're just you're completely run down. And that's a it's a huge part of it. And our bodies, you know, the adrenal system is one of our biggest and most hardest working glands. It's a great it's a great mechanism when we need to do things in a hurry. I mean adrenaline is an amazing hormone and, and whatnot. But it's not our bodies weren't meant to use it over and over and over again all day, you know. And that's what's going on in today's society. You know, and thinking about the holidays coming up, that's another one. It's like, oh my God, Christmas shopping or holiday shopping or holiday parties or I've got to do all this other stuff and it's like the run the running around, getting things done at the last minute or beating yourself up over not getting it done. I mean that's just that's just massively uh, you know, just creates this whirlwind and, and that's that's huge in today's society and not a lot i mean a lot, i think i think a lot of people are suffering and don't even realize it yeah i agree i, I mean i agree <laughs> i have a, a very good friend that um tells shares a story that um you know basically her adrenals had um really shriveled up to like the size of raisins and she was just you know she had basically had adrenal burnout and her physician mm-hmm. told her that you know it was not going to be possible to basically reignite the adrenal glands. And if you guys don't know, your adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys. Um, and so they're like, mm, I want to say it's kind of, they're, they're kind of like a little cap that sits on top of the kidneys. And when you burn them out, they, t- they tend to shrink up. And so um, it is possible to reignite them and, and reengage them and get them fully functional and all that stuff. But um, it's not until you really take the stress away. How does sleep, getting too little sleep, uh, contribute to adrenal fatigue? Because, you know, it's this 24-7, go, 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 do as much as you can society. You can't get away from technology even when you're sleeping. How does uh, too much or too little sleep contribute uh, or, let me at, rephrase it, does it contribute to uh, adrenal fatigue and adrenal uh, fatigue syndrome? Well, I, I would have to say that it probably is on a case-by-case basis, but, but what ends up happening a lot is that, and it, it kind of goes in with, you know, this rushing around, drinking a lot of caffeine, and, I, and I'm not making a judgment because I have my coffee once in a while here and there, but what happens is the, the rest period of time, the sleep period of time, it's when the body eliminates toxins, that's when it helps do the digesting, that's when the brain really relaxes and decompresses, and uh, everybody's got like an optimum um, uh, sleep cycle, you know, and we could spend a lot of time on the sleep cycles and, and brain waves and, and whatnot. But when the, when the brain, when we, when the body sleeps, the, the brain goes through these cycles. And, and delta, which is REM sleep, and the, I mean, um, I'm sorry, theta waves, which is REM sleep, and then delta, which is um, no sleeping at all, uh, no no dreaming at all. These are the, the two brainwave states that are the slowest, and this is when the body really regenerates and recuperates and really repairs itself. And what happens is two things can happen. Either you're not getting enough sleep as a whole and you're not going through these cycles enough different times to totally rebuild, or you're actually interrupting these natural processes. So you, you go into a deep, deep sleep, and for whatever reason you get woken up. And, and it's actually you can actually get less sleep if you get the right amount. Um, if, you, if you follow a brainwave, a brainwave cycle, and they're usually about 90 minutes each. 
So if you get if you get sleep that's either four and a half or six hours or seven and a half hours, you're able to complete those cycles all the way through. But actually, it's a very healthy stage for you. But a lot of people are getting like six, six and a half hours of sleep, and so they're they're falling asleep and they're they're maybe not sleeping really well. They're not getting the the the, the healthy deep benefits of the theta waves and the delta waves that are so um, relaxing and repairing, and that's where the body regenerates. But more importantly, mm-hmm. if they get woke up in the middle of it, this this throws the body out of rhythm, and that's what's happening. A lot of people they're just not they don't they just don't physically have the time, and so they're not getting that full cycle. So they might think that they're getting like let's say six and a half hours, but what they're getting is six hours that are good because that's a, that's four cycles, but they're not getting the next one. They're getting partway through. And um, right. once you understand a little bit of how the brainwave cycles work, if you get interrupted in the middle, they can really throw your day off. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been studies about how um, um, they've put, you know, you know, these sleep studies where people have gone to say sleep centers and they're doing research, and as soon as a person gets into that deep REM sleep, um, you know, where the the theta waves are. Um, starting to form, they wake them up, and they did this. I know there's, I can't really recall the exact study because I know there's been a few, but they've done that over a period of time, and these people really, really um, begin to have mental challenges and mental issues, um, you know, dealing just with simple things that we deal on a daily basis that normally wouldn't affect them or bother them had they got normal sleep, but because that cycle is interrupted, um, it begins to take a toll on them mentally and physically, and their health, you know, begins to decline. So it is very important to get sleep. And, you know, of course, everyone has their own set amount that works best for them. But I guess the, the point that we're trying to make is is to, to try and get as much sleep as possible that's good for your body and get to those, go through those four levels of sleep so that you can get the complete rest that will help you to deal with whatever challenges that may come up in your life. I well, also now... Yeah, go ahead. This touches, this touches on what you're talking about is that, you know, when, when people go to the hospital quite often and they're not, even though they're, they're, they're resting and they're not doing anything physical, but they're constantly being woken up because the lights are on or nurses are checking on, you know, checking on them. After a couple of days, they can develop what they call a, a hospital psychosis, um, which, which yeah. is really basically a, a, another name for sleep deprivation. So, yeah, it's absolutely, you know, it's absolutely. And that becomes, uh, you know, if you know anything about sleep deprivation, it can be really really wild, and actually people go the other way around. They can actually seem hyper alert for a short period of time because the adrenals have kicked in, but when they do mm-hmm. crash, they crash back. So, yeah, anyway. and you're right. I mean, I tell anybody, if you if you think you're going to go to a hospital and get some rest, <laughs> take <laughs> yeah. it from me, being a person that worked in the hospital, you know, as a uh, RN, you don't mm-hmm. go to the hospital to get rest. You're not going to get rest. You're going you're gonna to get taken care of but you're going to do the best recovery and recuperation that you can at home in your own environment because you won't have that constant uh, fluorescent light on and you won't have the constant interruption of someone coming to check your vital signs to make sure you're okay and giving you medication and things of that nature. So um, sleep is very, very, very important aspect. And I, and it segues perfectly into the next component of your pie or, or, or of our pie, so to speak, as with regards to mental health. Now, you know, you just got we just got through, you know, sharing with people that if they don't get enough sleep, you know, there's these issues that can happen, especially like, you know, you said, the, the mental psychosis that can happen within the hospital uh, arena. Can you share with us with regards to um, mental health, what are some misconceptions that are out there about mental health? I mean, um, 
a lot of times in society, it's kind of a taboo thing. Um, people don't really want to discuss if they're having issues in that way or they're not able to handle stress or they handle, they don't handle it appropriately and they act out and things of that nature. Can you share with us some of the misconceptions about that? Well, sure. I think one of the things, you know, and, and this goes to stress in general, is that stress, you know, the mental and the emotional, even though they're 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 co-joined, that there there's a mental component, like we talked about before, and it's emotional, and you really need to understand that because when we start dealing with mental, um, the component of mental health, it really has to do with the nature of our of our thoughts, you know, and our self-talk and and the 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 neuro-linguistic programming that I taught that can be such a tongue twister really is, that's really, that is a tremendous amount of the study is the, you know, the, the neuro portion of the, of the terminology speaks for the emotions and the, and the language part, the neuro-linguistics is the, the, the linguistics is the language. And what a lot of people don't realize is they're creating a tremendous amount of stress by the language that they use. And it can be the language that they speak out loud about or, that, or it can be the language they, that they, they use within themselves, their own internal self-talk that's, that's almost so deep that they want. And a lot of times what happens is that there's a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety created because of the stories that we're telling ourselves about what a specific situation means, the thoughts that we're, that we're thinking about a situation. Um, you know, this, I love this pie, but it's bad for me. You know, I, I want to have this piece of cake or I want to have this piece of pie, but it's bad for me. Um, another really big one, and it's, it sounds like it's semantics, but, you know, people use um, you know, well, I'm having a problem today. You know, I, I'm, you know, this is going on and it's a real problem for me. Well, it might be and it might be a challenge that some of you are having, but just simply using that word, there's, a, there's, a, there's an emotional component to that word and what that means in a, in a person's neurophysiology. And so there's certain words that you can use and certain thoughts that you can think that actually can create more stress for you. Um, for example, if somebody wakes up and goes, oh, my God, I'm so tired, I'm so stressed out, and if they keep saying that over and over again, they actually don't realize they're giving a subconscious command uh, to, their, to their mental, to their mind, to their subconscious mind. It's, it's, they're not aware that they're doing it, but it's a command, and so all of a sudden now they start to experience that. Or if like, oh, my God, uh, I can't believe this is happening, this is terrible. Um, you know, these are these are things that they don't sound like they're they're really all that harmful, and they're you know anyone by themselves aren't. But what happens is people get into these unconscious language patterns, and they use them over and over again. It actually creates stress through just the language that, that people use. Um, and so that's you know I, I think the misconception to sum this up is that people don't understand how powerful words are, and um, you know just yeah. like anything else, there's a there's a there's a component of our language that people don't realize and they're not careful. Perfect. I'm, I'm, hold tight. I want to continue talking about that. I just want to take this time right now to uh, recognize one of the sponsors, and I promise you guys we'll get back because this is some really good information and good conversation that um, Russell is sharing with us with regards to, I'd like to say, the four pieces of the pie um, so uh. that we can all, <laughs> that sounds just so yummy, <laughs> and so that we can all enjoy the four pieces of pie and not feel guilty about it. So hold tight. Um, we'll be back in just a sec, but let me tell you right now about one of our fabulous sponsors, and the sponsor is 21 Drops. And now what 21 Drops is, is it is a modern essential oil company, and they believe that essential oils are the root of it all, benefiting the mind, body, and spirit. They believe that when they extract these highly concentrated molecules from the various parts of the plant, such as the leaves, the wood, the fruit, the seeds, and the flowers, that they're actually taking part of the plant's critical um, functioning system, such as the immune system and their survival mechanisms. 
And because plants and man have evolved alongside each other with the same chemistry for many, 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 many years, once humans either inhale or absorb these oils into their bloodstreams, they interact with the body, creating balance and wellness. And that is one of the principles of what uh, the science of aromatherapy is based upon. Now, at 21 Drops, they source all their essential oils from organically grown herbs or plants that are collected sustainably from all over the globe. All of the oils that they utilize are 100% organic or well-crafted, and they come from many, many different artisan distillers around the globe. So you're getting the best when you go to 21 Drops to get your essential oils. Now, by doing this, what they believe is that when they utilize the best of the best of the best of the plants to extract these beautiful essential oils, uh, the result is oils that are captured in their purest, most highly effective therapeutic form. And what 21 Drops does is they take these oils and they carefully fuse them to create some of the most effective customized solutions that we have available to us here on the planet. And for instance, what their model is, they have solutions that can help with anything from headache to heartache within their essential oils, and I think that's beautiful. Now, 21 Drops also believes that when they capture this pure essence of the essential oils, it's not only, you know, just um, because they smell yummy and, and, and they're really nice to have, but it's for our therapeutic purposes. And they believe that when they do this and by creating these fabulous essential oils and these customized blends, they're empowering their friends and their customers, such as you and I, to feel better and be better. So if you're looking for a essential oil that you've had difficulty finding or you're looking for a customized blend that fits anywhere from headache to heartache, I highly suggest that you check out 21 Drops, and you can find them on the web at 21drops.com. That's the number 21, the word drops with an S, dot com. And you can tell them that Rochelle Marie Lawson sent you to them and enjoy the essence of the pure essential oils that you're going to get from them. And now I want to get back to Russell and our wonderful conversation we're having with regards to the four pieces of the beautiful pie that he has so brilliantly outlined for us. We were talking about mental health and some of the misconceptions, and he was tying that in as well as to the third piece of the pie, which is, um, you know, the emotional aspect. You know, sometimes um, we tend to blend those two aspects or those two pieces together to have a really big pie, but they really are separate. And so, you know, you were sharing about some of the misconceptions about mental health, um, but what are some of the emotional states that we most often experience um, that could be related to, say, stress-related burnout or, you know, uh, stress-related challenges and and the misconceptions behind those? Well, I think think one of the things is people use emotions for two reasons. well, let's go this way. People use emotions for a lot of different reasons, but one of the one of the things that people don't understand is that uh, an emotion like frustration or anger, we, we tend to look at as being not really the most optimum. We don't want to feel that way at all. However, people unconsciously create strategies that when they're angry or they're frustrated or they're or they lash out, let's say, for example, this is when they're actually able to get their point across or when they're actually able to get something done. And so what happens is they become um, they become actually go to emotions is that um, if i can only if I can only get my way let 's say by being the squeaky wheel by 
by lashing out, by complaining, and, and being really, you know, almost like very loud and almost, I don't want to say belligerent necessarily, but, you know, if I have a problem and the only way I've learned to solve it is by becoming angry and one of the things that, you know, getting loud, screaming, calling people names, whatever whatever happens to be the, the, out, the outcome from that particular anger, if people learn to, to do that, that becomes a go-to emotion in those situations. And I think that that's one of the misconceptions is that, um, people have to learn, number one, that th- there's a reason why that doesn't necessarily work. Not that it's wrong to be angry. Sometimes we are going to be, and every once in a while we need to be. You know, if uh, somebody comes into my house and threatens my stuff, my house, my family, getting angry is exactly the, the, the appropriate response in that case. And maybe even, you know, doing something to protect myself is absolutely 100% in that case. But a lot of people unconsciously create those emotions and they become patterns like anything else that people don't realize they're going to that emotional pattern um, by accident or unconsciously. And I think that that's another area. And I think that, you know, to, to key into that as well is that in today's society, a lot of times when we're afraid uh, or sad, sometimes a lot of people will become angry to mask those other two emotions because being angry in today's society is almost like acceptable. And it's, it's so it becomes people don't feel um Anger makes people feel powerful in some cases. So it goes back to being able to accomplish things. And so what ends up happening is that's, again, that becomes a go-to emotion for some people because this is where people feel a sense of power because anger is a really powerful emotion. We can get a lot of things done. But what ends up happening is people use it like way too too much to get things done, and that's not the most appropriate way. And I think that that's a, you know, we're in a, we've become conditional most of that is okay. But if people are angry but they get things done, if they get results, that that's okay. And I think that that's that's a, a big challenge for some people. And they don't even realize that they're doing it. Yeah, you know, I, I think we've all had a boss in our lifetime and our, our career careers that uh, you know utilize uh, anger as a way to hmm, emphasize the point or get things done or really to bully people and thought that was actually being po- you know being utilized in a positive way. And I don't know if any of my past bosses have learned. Um, that it actually was very detrimental to the the atmosphere and the environment, you know. Versus they would have used a different technique to get their point across. Um, I I think the whole team would have been a lot more productive and a lot more happier to fulfill the the goal of whatever we're trying to achieve. So I know that people have been exposed to that, and I know people think that when they're angry they're powerful, but really I I want to say when you're angry it's actually when you're the least powerful um, because you're not able to think rationally. And uh, and that can cause a whole realm of other things that can occur in your life that may not always be good. You tap on something that's really really important is that when we go into the mode of being angry, there's a there's a neuro mechanism in the brain that switches off the creative the centers of the brain so that when we're when we're angry, just like you said, we're thinking about only one specific outcome. We're thinking about only one way to getting it done, and we've we've actually totally you know on a neuro linguistics you know, there's a neural pathway that we've actually eliminated the, the right side of the brain, the very creative side of the brain. We don't usually, we're, not, we're usually unable to access that when we're in that frustrated, angry, stressed out kind of place. So we're not even seeing other options that we're getting the same thing done, the creative solution. So you're, you're right on with that. And it, all kinds of research to back that up as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I just, um, you know, I've just seen it, um, you know, personally, professionally, I've, I've been guilty of it myself, you know, in the past, and 
And uh, just, you know, when you look back and reflect, sometimes it's like, wow, I, I really could have handled that a little bit differently. But I wanted to hold on to the anger because it was like, it was really emphasizing the point I was trying to make. And, you know, it, it just, it, you know, of course, you know, you have all the physical aspects that occur in your body that is not necessarily good, you know, again, creating internal stress within, which is not necessarily the kind of stress we want to have because, you know, of course, that, that causes more toxins and all kind of stuff. But um, thank you for sharing that because I, I, um, I like how you're tying this all together. Our little pie is just coming together so nicely. Now, I want I want you to share because I know that, um, you know, we're tying the mental part and the emotional part together. Now, can you share some thoughts with regards to how people can um, – <clears throat> maybe more understand the connection between the two and how it relates to how well or how well or let me see, how well or how well, no, how well or how well not they handle stress that occurs in their lives. Yeah, well, I think the biggest the biggest thing for people to be aware of is that when, when a person has an experience of being stressed or angry or frustrated, they don't, they get into the heat of the moment and they don't think, um, from like an expanded level of conscious and say, okay, what's really making me angry? What's really making me frustrated? And the thing is, there's a mental component. There's a thought process that's going on. There's a story that you're telling yourself. There's a meaning that you've placed on the situation or, or the person that's having this experience is placed on it. Um, and that's actually what's causing the emotion. So it's important to understand that they're two separate components, but they're, they're interlinked. And the reason I say it's really important is because when a person feels angry, then it's just like, okay, we'll just find out what they're angry about. And a lot of times what's, what, the, what the thought process is is that there's an unrealistic, unrealistic expectation or there's an expectation of something that can't happen. Is it, you know, for example, people are angry about something that's already over and done. And it's like they focus on what's wrong and it can't change. Therefore, the, the whole cycle just goes into that space. Um, to, give, to give an example, I worked with one woman and she was, uh, I think it was, she was just approaching her 38th birthday and she was really frustrated. And she said to me, I'm so, I'm so, it just, my life just doesn't seem like it's working. I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? She said, well, I had these big plans. I had all these things that I was supposed to do by the time I was 34. And now I'm 38 and nothing seems to be working. I'm like, okay, what do you mean by that? What's this big thing that you're supposed to do? And when we explored it, she had no mechanism. She had no goal set. So she had an expectation of something, but it wasn't clear enough to measure. So she kept going into that frustrated state because she had created um, uh, like an unrealistic, in this case, we don't even know if it was realistic or not because it wasn't clear. You know, she had some sort of goal. She had some sort of ambiguous goal, and she didn't reach what she thought was this goal, but it became this weird kind of thinking process. And, and, and I use that. It sounds like a simple explanation, but the thing is a lot of people, uh, their, their brains work that way is that they, they create some sort of expectation that's either unrealistic or it's very poorly defined or not defined at all in this particular case, and then they get upset that it doesn't come around, and then it's like, well, but I thought, you know. It's like, well, wait a minute, no. Um, and this is where you've got to be very specific. You know, we talk about goal setting, whether you're in the gym or making money or, or whatever, very specific, measurable, tangible results. So you can say, okay, yes, I did it, or no, I didn't, and then you can figure out why. And in this case, she was extremely stressed out, Very uh, had a lot of negative self-talk about herself because she hadn't achieved this specific big goal. And she probably could have if she made it very clear, but she didn't. And then even four years later, she was still frustrated. And, um, wow. you know, like I said, you know, it's, it's just it's a, it's a very – when you're able to separate the two, then you can find out the one piece that was missing and, and, and really look at it and go like, well, okay, now, now I get it. 
Wow. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that because I, I do know people, and I'm sure there are people out there listening that say, they're saying, oh, my gosh, are they talking about me or I can relate to that or I know people in my life that, that do that. or and, and, you know, it is what it is what it is, but that's why we have this show to help you guys understand some of the things that aren't often explained to us. They just happen. And, uh, and when you get an explanation or awareness about what's going on, it gives you the power to make the change for the better in your life and, you know, hopefully help someone around you um, not succumb to those bouts of <laughs> emotional and mental stress. Now, I want to get um, to the last piece of the pie, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a very special piece um, of the pie, and it's very special to me, and it has profound effects in our life, and that is the spiritual aspect. Can you share with us what do we believe about ourselves and with regards to the world when we relate to God or the divine or spirit or whatever you're out there, you know, I don't I wanna don't wanna box anyone into any one type of thing, but whatever your spirituality is, um, what do we believe about ourselves when we tap into the spiritual aspect of the pie? Well, I, I think it goes it goes right down to, you know, do you really fully one hundred percent trust in the universe? Do you really feel like the universe is there to protect you and guide you and um, is got your back when things are down? Or do you really not know for sure? And what I like to, what I like to do when I talk about this particular aspect is, is knowing, and this goes back to the power of words, this, this will kind of demonstrate it, is that there's a different vibrational energy behind thinking something, behind believing something, and behind knowing something. So if people have thoughts that the universe is a, a safe place and they're being protected. That's a certain level of experience. If people believe on a different level that the universe is out there to protect them, that God is there, the divine, the spirit, whatever works, that's another level of, of feeling. And that's actually, you can feel the resonance in the words if you really get into it. But knowing with 100% absolute certainty that the universe has got your back, that there there is a all-loving, all-powerful God or spirit or divine or whatever whatever term you want to use, if you know that with absolute certainty, it's a whole different level of experience. And, and I think that what happens is when we get into into this last piece of the pie is that most people are operating with the idea or the, the thought uh, that they're, that the world is a, is a safe and comfortable place to live in. Other people are a little bit deeper, um, but probably a smaller percentage that actually believe but I don't think that there's a lot of people that really 100% fully know. And there's a huge difference between those three different levels. And so depending on where an individual is, you know, you might on one level think they might be talking and using the language that they believe in God or they think that the universe is a wonderful place. But deep down inside, they're still not 100% certain. And so that actually can create stress, that um, um, cognitive, cognitive dissonance between those two, the, the one thought that there's a God and everything should be going wonderful and everything's okay versus, uh, you know, not really 100% being certain deep down, absolute certainty, 100% faith, you know, whatever word you want to use. So um, with regards to that, can you, um, is it possible that um, by connecting to the spiritual aspect, um, is it possible to help is, is it is it something that people can utilize to help them? Of course, I know the answer, but, I, you know, I just want you to just share it. But is it possible that people can utilize connecting to that fourth piece of the pie, the spiritual aspect, and helping them to maybe manage or 
basically, I would love to this, eliminate aspects um, that may be causing illness and disease within them, themselves? Well, yeah, and I think I think that the real challenge is that the combination is is going from a place of thinking about God or thinking about uh, the universe, the divine, whatever you want to call it, source energy, versus 100% experience. And so, when people are able to create an experience that that's the truth, that they, that, that they know that with absolute certainty, that they they physically think about it in their body, then yes, I think that that's the case. And more importantly. Here's the thing: is that most people are are most people's fears are really, again, talk about unrealistic expectations. Is you know the the expectation I'm never going to get older, the expectation on, that I'm not going to have some sort of illness when I do age, or that I'm going that I'm not going the, the expectation I'm going to live forever. These are all realistic, un- unrealistic. I mean, and, and yet these are things that that um, create a lot of stress. Is that that combination of these unrealistic thoughts is that. Well, I know with absolute certainty that I'm going to get older. I know that my body's going to begin to fail. I know that, that my body's going to pass and my spirit's going to go on somewhere else. I have that I, I have that knowing, that absolute certainty. So that doesn't cause me stress, but I don't think that that's the case with most people. Now, can you tie in um, the medical, the metaphysical with the spiritual for us? Um, I, I love, This is something I could just do probably a whole four shows about. <laughs> Um, because it's just, I just love it. But, um, you know, because we're talking about our four pieces of the pie, I think it's absolutely important for people to understand. Um, so can you can you tie the two together or share a little bit about the metaphysical and how it connects to the spiritual and helping us to be, feel, and do the best that we can? Well, yeah. I mean, part of what we have to realize um you know, let's say this: there's there's a metaphysical, energetic signature behind some of the the diseases that people experience, and so individuals that have fibromyalgia, and there's a tremendous amount of study on this. You know, um, usually have some sort of situation in their life where they're they're still angry about. There's a lot of resentment. There's a lack of forgiveness. All of which are partially are. Um, spiritual lessons to learn in this particular lifetime, or, or for that particular individual, but but this is this is what happens is that there's a it's almost like a metaphysical or spiritual lesson that people have to learn, and so they're, they 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 have the experience of having let's say a fibromyalgia in their in their um, in this particular lifetime, and the and the reason they're having it is because they need to learn to forgive and move past uh, the anger and the resentment or whatnot, and if they do, then they can they can help you know eliminate that that experience where they can, you know, totally heal themselves or whatnot. Um, cancer is another big one. I mean, every time you talk about today, there's everybody's all this, all this cancer research and all this, well, we don't have a cure for cancer. Well, in, on the metaphysical and the spiritual plane, everybody knows that cancer is just a, an anger or resentment. It's just unforg- unforgiven past issues, you know. And, and in some cases, it can be from a past lifetime. But, but many times it's from this particular lifetime, and, and people don't realize that by holding on to a tremendous amount of anger, they hold on to that energy in their body, and that usually manifests in the in a, in a form of a cancer, you know, and depending, it's, I mean, they've got it down to almost a, a, a science about where it manifests in the body and what that means, you know. I mean, breast cancer for women, you know, is really about, is about nurturing, you know. They, they're, they're nurturing other people so much, though, but they're not nurturing themselves, and that's usually the energetic signature behind it. Um, the other one that I, I, I've done a lot of work with is diabetes, and diabetes, if you know that it's, you know, regulating our, you know, blood sugar, you know, that our blood sugar is, gets out of balance easy. And if you look at most people with diabetes, um, you find that they've got at least one or two major imbalances in their life, and that's kind of, you know, one is a representative of the other. Um, 
I know I've got a good friend that um, is hypoglycemic, and, 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 and again, the energetic signature behind hypoglycemia, you know, is, is uh, control issues and, and being um, unflexible, not willing to go with the flow. And when you start to look at the, the people that have these, you know, these uh, situations in their life, I should say, these challenges in their life, and then, and then you look at the, the, the blueprint behind it, and it's so, it's so fascinating, it's so easy to see that. And, and yet again, like I said, it doesn't necessarily make it a problem. It's not necessarily a bad thing that people are having these experiences. It's just how they choose to deal with it. Um, if people get it that they're having cancer and they realize it's just a forgiveness issue and they go back and find out what it is and they, they do the spiritual work, they do the forgiveness, and, and, uh, and they may need to do some physical things as well. Don't get me wrong. But at, this, but at the same time, if they do that, they can, they can really have a lot of power over these things. Mm, very nice, very nicely said, and it's it's a great segue into coming to a close for the sh- to the show today. Um, it's been just phenomenal to share the pieces of the pie that you so brilliantly outlined for us. And you know, like I said, we can probably take each segment or piece of the pie and do a full show on it because there's a lot of um, meat, juice, substance, yumminess to to them all. But um, I think what we did today. And what we accomplished was to give people, you know, aspects that they can totally take and utilize and, and, and you know, quite possibly uh, understand what's going on in their life and, and how to m- basically mail the pieces of the pie together so that they can have a better life and, and be less stressed and, you know, not take things so so personally and not get angry about stuff that you haven't accomplished or hold resentment and, you know, all that kind of stuff that is so negative for us and really does create internal toxins. And I wish we had time to talk about that as well. But, you know, who knows? Maybe there'll be time in the future that we can bring you back and have you go deeper into some of this stuff um, that definitely would be beneficial for all of us to learn more about. Now, can you share with the listeners out there um, how they could get in touch with you? Do you have anything coming up or any workshops, any programs, any books, any appearances, anything like that that you would like to share with the audience right now? Yeah, they can they can reach me on my website, which is uh, www.russellfostermentoring.com. So that's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-M-E-N-T-O-R-I-N-G, and then, of course, .com. Um, I do have a book coming up that is uh, the, the the groundwork is laid out. I believe uh, from having my astrology read, my the my numerologist that I'm working with tell me that September, August September 2014 is the optimum time to uh, release that. So I'm gonna I'm working on that. Um, that's going to be about the um, multidimensional consciousness, which really deals with the fact that you know we exist in like multiple different planes at, at the same time. So we experience ourselves as a 3D being. Um, is one level of energy, and then there's a, there's a fourth dimension. There's also a fifth dimension, which our uh, our blueprint, our ideal blueprint, our, our connection to source begins. There's other dimensions that go beyond that, but for the practical uh, reader, that's that's all we need to know. Um, that will be coming out, and um, I I don't have anything actually. I, mean, I do have some workshops, but I just don't have dates on there. But they they will be on the website as soon as they're they're scheduled. Thanks again for sharing that. That was that's actually beautiful. And you guys out there listening. You know, um, again, you can get in contact with Russell at www.russellfostermentoring.com. And um, it's been great to have you on the show. And before we go, I was just wondering if you have any last words of wisdom that you would like to share with the listening audience today. 
Well, two things. You know, I would just highly recommend that people, if they don't already have some sort of gratitude ritual, to really create that. I mean, we could spend a whole, you know, hour conversation on different techniques for doing that, you know. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I would say is a real easy question to ask yourself when people get in a stressed-out situation is, you know, what's this situation going to mean or what's this experience going to mean in a month or two or three years or five years down the road? So let's say you're getting angry with somebody, and then if you could stop and ask yourself a question almost like somebody just looking over your shoulder and say, well, what's this really going to mean in a year? this particular experience, and you'll find that 90% of the time we get upset over nothing and it's not going to mean anything down the road. Um, and yet, in the moment, it, it feels like the, <laughs> the biggest thing that we've got to solve this issue right now. It feels, like, it feels like a major crisis, but when you look at the situation down the road, you know, in, in six months or a year, it's not, it's not going to mean anything. So. Right. Well, thank you so much, Russell, for being a guest on Blissful Living. I sincerely appreciated your words of wisdom, and I really enjoyed um sampling the pieces of the pie, so to speak, and I'm sure my <laughs> listeners out there as well, I just love that. Boy, you you need to take that and, and run with that. <laughs> um, you know, get a little pie design and, you know, hey, break it up into pieces and, and share with all the people that come in contact with you beautiful aspects of the pieces of the pie that you shared with us today. And to all of you guys out there listening, I want to thank you all for tuning in and checking out what we have to share with you today. Hopefully you've gotten some golden nuggets out of that that, or some wonderful pieces of the pie that you've taste and sample and you like. And if you'd like to know more, please get in contact with Russell. I'm sure he would not mind that at all. And um, so now I would just like to say um, tune in to next week's show where there will be another fabulous guest because, you know, I am the queen of feeling fabulous and that is how I roll. I like to bring fabulous people to share wonderful information with all of you to help you travel more successfully as you walk down your path to bliss. And so now I'm just going to say this is Rochelle Marie Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, wishing you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. Until next week, have a fabulous week, everyone, and bye for now. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.